we thank you for your word and all that it teaches us and we pray now that you'll help us to set aside other distractions, to set aside other things we can think on and think on what is important and that is understanding your word correctly and understanding what it is when we talk about the glory of God. And we pray for our sister Sylvia and anyone else who is sick and unable to be with us today that you will comfort them with that wonderful truth that Christ Jesus is Lord and he is in control of all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We talk a lot about the importance of today and that's not just uh, rhetoric. This is important. Doing things like this is important. Uh, Taking some time out like this to grapple a little more deeply with God's word than perhaps we can in uh, 20 or 30 minutes on a Sunday morning or evening is so, so important. Uh, They used to talk about the church in Africa being a a mile wide but an inch deep. Uh, Have you heard that expression before from missionaries and so forth about the church in Africa? The the idea is there's all this evangelism happening uh, and all this growth of the church but its depth is very shallow. Uh, because there is not that understanding of God's word and that maturity. But I think uh, all too often what the way we've described the church in Africa for years is now the church of the Western world as well. Uh, and I think we sort of stand and say, not like us in the Western world, when actually the maturity of the church in the Western world is sort of like a pool that hasn't had water put into it for a long time and the water level's going down and down and no one's putting the hose in. Uh, there's just a reality that for many modern Christians, in our busyness, what happens is we have a faith that is a millimetre deep. Uh, we're too busy to read the Bible. Uh, if we're at church every week, uh, hearing good sermons, and that's great, but if the only time we are in the Scriptures is for 25 minutes on a Sunday morning or evening, then we will never grow as Christians. Uh, And because of that, all too often the modern Christian is just so easily blown around by every wind and every wave of false teaching, both from within the church and without, because that's what happens when people are not daily in the word of God. Sorry, I've just got to fix up my microphone here. I think it was designed for a smaller head at a girl's school, but uh, there you go. But uh, to grow as Christians, to mature as Christians, or even just to stand firm as Christians, we have to devote ourselves seriously to grappling with God's word. Uh, And that's what I want us to do today. I'm sort of apologising up front that I want these talks to be a bit heavier than normal. Uh, It's my intention to push us today, to stretch us a little bit and to really uh, make us think. So over the course of the morning, we're going to be thinking about the topic of the glory of God. It's up there on the screen, I think, the glory of God. And I'll explain why we're focusing on that topic in a minute. Uh, And we're going to be looking particularly at Revelation chapters 4 and 5. That's the Bible passages we're going to be looking at. Uh, But also over the day, I want to sort of shine a spotlight on some of the exciting things that are happening in church. And in particular, we're going to be hearing some stories from about five or six different people Uh, about what they've been doing, about what's been happening for them. Uh, Through the video, a few people are going to be interviewed, uh, things like that. But also, I just want us to have a great time together. Uh, That's the other purpose of today, and we've got some great things planned for over the afternoon. And please don't run away, uh, even if the kids get tired, because at uh, 3pm after lunch and after some fun together, uh, we'll be hearing some, some people sharing their encouraging stories, how they've become Christians. 
uh, over the last year or so and seeing at least one person baptised. So uh, please make sure you're here for the afternoon session. It'll be a great day. But as I say, particularly today, I want us to think about that topic of the glory of God. That's what I want us to think about. Uh, Over the last year, I've drawn together some people from across all our different congregations, uh, what we call the ministry coalitions. And one of the things we've done is we've tried to come up with some things that describe what we're on about as a church. Uh, And so in the past, St George North has had big vision statements and and mission statements and all that sort of thing. This is a bit different. Uh, What we've been trying to do is just distill down uh, what are the things that are the centre of what we do. Uh, And in particular, we wanted something to speak to two audiences. Uh, We wanted something that could just say to anyone coming and joining us as our church, this is what we're on about. Uh, This is what drives us at St George North. That was one audience. And the other audience we wanted to speak to was you, was all of our members to just continually remind us what is church about? Why are we a part of the church? What is it that makes us the church? That just keeps dropping in and out, John, but is that nothing we can do about that? Or I'll just keep talking. Uh, It's so easy to get distracted. Churches uh, often get distracted because there's so many good things you can be doing. Uh, There's so many good things we can be doing as a church and we get distracted from the reality that church is actually really, really simple. The reason we exist is really, really simple. So after much studying the Bible together on Tuesday nights and batting around ideas and sending emails around, we discarded a lot of things that could describe what our church is on about. And we came up with just three things. Uh, and they're there on your outline. Uh, the first is proclaiming Jesus. That's the essence of what we're on about, telling people about Jesus. And that verse that I spoke on at last year's Big Day Out, it's always dangerous when you refer to a talk you've given previously because people think I should remember what that was about, but I don't. Uh, but last year, you may remember, I spoke on Colossians 1.28. Can anyone say Colossians 1.28 off by heart? Where are the old navigators when you need them? Colossians 1.28, I'll say it for you. We proclaim him. That's Jesus. Warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, that's the essence of what we're on about, proclaiming Jesus, telling people about Jesus so people might be presented perfect in him. Second thing we thought was serving together. And uh, Mark 10 was front and centre in our thinking there, where Jesus says that he came to serve, not to be served. Despite the fact he is the Lord of the universe, he came to serve, not to be served, and where to follow his example. And then thirdly, growing disciples. Uh, And there, Matthew 28 was in our mind, that wonderful passage where Jesus gives us our commission. Uh, He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, We want our church to be one where people don't just take the first steps of coming to know Jesus, but one where they continue to grow and grow as disciples of Christ as long as they live. Uh, So now after the Easter holidays, I'm going to be coming around to all uh, all five of our congregations uh, and speaking on each of those three things, uh, proclaiming Jesus, serving together, growing disciples. Uh, But as we thought more, we thought as important as all those things are and as central as all those things are, in the end, those three things are only a means to an end. Uh, They're only something we do to achieve a bigger goal. Uh, And what's the bigger goal? 
I've already given it away by having it in big letters up on the screen. But what is the very reason we exist as a church? More than that, what is the very reason you exist as a person? You know, when people ask you that sort of existential question, why am I here? What is the reason I exist? Why has God put me on this earth? And all too often we try and boil it down really specifically to us, but actually it's very general. We're all here for exactly the same reason. Uh, One of the great confessions of Christian faith is the Westminster Confession. Uh, They came up with it in Scotland in 1646, following out of the Reformation. Uh, And it tries to capture the biblical faith. It's it's like the 39 articles in the Anglican Church. Anyway, the Westminster Confession starts off by asking a question. It says, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer it gives is, a man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. A man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is our greatest mission. That's what we exist to do, to glorify God. That's why we have been created. That's why we've been redeemed. And everything else we do must funnel into that, glorifying God. We only proclaim Jesus because that glorifies God. We only serve together because that glorifies God. We only grow disciples because that glorifies God. Because, and here's the thing, and this is sort of mind-stretching and mind-blowing, in my view, anyway, our chief end is to glorify God because God's chief end is to glorify God. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. But our reason for being is to bring glory to God because God's reason for being is to bring glory to God. Uh, God exists to glorify God. Sometimes in our sinfulness and in our pride, in fact, not just sometimes, I think generally, we sort of view God as the fact that God exists to love humanity. God exists to love humanity and especially me. That's why God exists. So I say, and I say, if that's the God we want to tell people about, the God who exists to love me and make my life happy, then I sort of wonder, well, of course the atheists immediately write that God off. I'd write that God off too. Because the thing about gods you make up is they exist for you. That's what human-made gods do. The God who exists for my benefit is a figment of my imagination. You see, this is the thing. God does not need you. God does not need me. He does not need anyone. God is self-contained. God did not make us for our glory. He made us so that we might see his glory and so glorify him. But does that make you feel uncomfortable? That God exists to glorify God, Uh, if it doesn't, you haven't woken up yet on a Saturday morning, Uh, because it seems to make God proud and self-centred. You know, we sort of think God can't be like Michael Clark or Shane Watson. You know, there's people who talk about themselves in the third person and and who exist for their own glory. I just read an interview with Michael Clark and he said, well, I've got to do what's best to maintain the brand of Michael Clark. I thought... That's really strange. But anyway, God cannot be a cosmic narcissist, we think. That can't be the case. But that's because we think of God as being like us. 
You see, and all of our motives are marred by sin. So for a human being to exist for their own glory is narcissistic. It is selfish. It's the heart of sin. In fact, it's the essence of sin to exist for our own glory. That's what it is to sin. And we see it every day in ourselves and in other people. But in God, there is no sin. So God's glorification of himself is actually the most beautiful thing in the world because God glorifying himself expresses itself in serving others and in loving his creation. So while we were not made for God to love us, that wasn't the purpose, we're made for God's glory, it is by God loving us that he shows his glory most profoundly. Now I say all of this to make a simple point. We need to stop thinking of ourselves as the centre of God's plans for the universe. And instead, we need to see that it is his glory that matters. We are made to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. Look at how God talks to his people in Isaiah 43. He says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Well, just think for a moment, we won't read it out, but think about Genesis 1 and 2, you know, the very start of the Bible. When the Bible talks about the fact that we are made in the image of God, part of what that means is that we're made to reflect God's glory in the world. When God talks about us being in his image, it's, it's like we are, we are little mirrors who shine the glory of God into the creation. That's why we're made. Or look at how the Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. Again, it's up on the screen. He says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. That's why we exist as individuals and as a church. But what does that mean? Just think for a moment. What does it mean to glorify God? It's all very, very well and good to say that's why we exist. But what does it mean? to glorify God, or taking it even a step further back, what is the glory of God? Just turn to the person next to you and talk for a moment and ask, what is the glory of God? And try and write down a definition of the glory of God. And if you don't have someone next to you, move so that you're sitting closer to someone.
Okay, we'll get back underway. But I wonder if you found that it's really hard. It's really hard to come up with a definition of the glory of God. It's really hard to put your finger on it. Uh, Because God's glory is not some small part of him. God's glory is not one of his attributes. It's not the shiny glow that follows him around wherever he goes. Uh, It's all the different aspects of his being and and all the different aspects of his character that make him God. You see, it's his all-knowingness. It's his creative power. It's his incredible grace. It's his his lovingness. It's his, his mercy. Uh, you know, the Hebrew word for glory back in the Old Testament comes from the word meaning heavy. That's what it means, weighty. Uh, the glory of God is just the sheer weight of who he is. That's what it is. Uh, one book I read, I read it, wrote it down, then could not find the book where I found it. So this is unattributed. And I didn't want to claim it as my own, but it said this. It said, God's glory is simply the inescapable weight of the sheer intrinsic godness of God. I think that captures it. I think that gets it right. That's what God's glory is. It's just simply the inescapable weight of the sheer intrinsic godness of God. So glory is not one of the things God has. It's not that God is powerful and God is wise and God is all-knowing and God is all-loving and God is all-merciful and God is glorious as well. That's not what it is. It's all those things that add up to make God glorious. And so when we say that we exist to glorify God, that doesn't mean that we can somehow make him more glorious. Nothing we do makes God more glorious. You can't make perfection more perfect. It just doesn't work that way. God is glorious. When we glorify him, what do we do? We acknowledge it. That's what we do. We don't make him more glorious. We just acknowledge that he is glorious. Our job is to value it. Our job is to express thanks for it. Our job is to tell of it. That's what it means to glorify God. In our actions, as we live to serve him, in our motivations, and most fundamentally, in our words. See, that's what it is to glorify God. Not to make him glorious, he is glorious but to declare his glory to the ends of the world. Uh, And so what we're going to do now is we're going to hear from Revelation 4. Because as I got thinking on this topic of the glory of God, it was Revelation 4 and 5 that I particularly turned to, and I think they're going to help us a lot. So Mark is going to come up and read from Revelation 4 for us.